Hello and welcome to iPod, the College of Optometrists podcast, where we explore the profession and the fascinating world of vision and eye care, discover new ideas and research and learn from others' experiences. And today it is with me, Denise Voon, Clinical Advisor to the College, and I'm really excited to be joined by two guests today. Firstly, Baroness Hayter of Kentish Town, who has been a member of the House of Lords since 2010. She is a member of the Labour and Cooperative Party and Shadow Deputy Leader of the House of Lords from 2017 to 2021. She has served in numerous opposition front bench roles in the Lords from 2011 to 2021, when she became chair of the International Agreements Committee. And secondly, by Mike Bowen, our Director of Knowledge and Research at the College. And today we're talking about a campaign that Lady Hayter has been working on with support from the College and other stakeholders, and I'll let her introduce it. So welcome to iPod, Diane. Thank you very much. And so I guess, when did you first become interested in head like glare? Well, maybe like many people, when it affected me. Um, I've always done a lot of driving and was finding personally that the glare from lights at night was of oncoming cars was really affecting me. And I kept, first of all, thinking that it was just me. And therefore, I was thinking of stopping driving at night. Um, and I heard that maybe uh, you could have glasses. So I went off to my optician and asked if there were special glasses to get rid of headlights. And he, who's known me a long time, is a wonderful man, um, said, well, actually, Diane, uh, you do have a bit of cataract problems, but you should know it's not just, and he was very polite, so he didn't quite say, old people like you <laughs> but the implication of his very nice thing was it wasn't just old people like me but actually there's a problem with headlights and then because he'd sort of given me that sort of permission to think oh this isn't just about my eyes um, I then started asking more and more people and they were saying oh yes I've stopped driving at night or I hate driving at night um, and then by fortune my husband, who used to be on the college's, I think it was research committee, and therefore still got the, um, I think it's a monthly or quarterly publication, Acuity, said, oh, and there's an article on Headlight Glare in the magazine. So I read that, and the two things came together, you know, what you were saying as a college and what I was feeling. And at that point, I went back to my optician and I said, is, is this really the case? And he's going, Yes, yes, it's it's not, it's not, you know, he's got people coming in saying they've got a problem with their eyes and it isn't, it's about the headlight glare. So it started personally. There was the, uh, if you like, the the, the luck of, uh, of my husband reading your magazine uh, and then uh, realising we had to do something about this. Yeah, and that and that's so true, I think. Um, as an optometrist and our members as well, a lot of people are saying now that more and more people are becoming more bothered by headlight glare. And it's certainly something I think is happened more recently than sort of um, maybe five, 10 years ago. Um, and I think it could be as part of your campaign is about to do with the headlight bulbs that they're now using. Yes, I, I, I don't want to offend all the, all the men that are listening to this. But I think there's a certain amount of um, over-engineering, shall we say, of cars to make them always something extra to be added. And I have a feeling that there's a lot of quite young men who, you know, buy a car not just, you know, for the normal reasons of, you know, what's its petrol consumption, but having some new thing. And the LED lights 
were undoubtedly something introduced, which have become quite a feature and a sales bit of cars. And it was all done without anyone thinking about the impact of oncoming drivers. Most of the way we define road safety and the design of cars is for the people within the car. So whether it's a safety thing of, of for example, you know, the, the metal of a car taking more of the impact and not help harming the people in the car if there's a crash, or indeed the design of lights, it's thinking about the driver within the car rather than um, anyone outside, i.e. an oncoming driver. So the LED lights were seen as being good for the driver in that they would give them better sight, but without thinking about the oncoming uh, people. It's very true. Um, the LEDs undoubtedly are brighter. They emit a much cooler light, which does make it much easier for the driver. But the flip side to it is that it does increase dazzle for the oncoming driver or the pedestrian or the dog walker or, or whatever. And I think that that isn't, like you say, if that hasn't really been taken into account, that can that can become a big issue. And with cars being slightly higher up nowadays, um, I think that might play a role as well. Indeed. In fact, it's interesting you mentioned about cars, because when I was having the real trouble, I had a, quite a low car. Um, in fact, I've, I've now got a, a slightly higher car. So at least I'm more on a uh, you know, on a level with these cars with LED lights. But when I was in a lower car, it was really, really difficult. But it's it, it, it's that nobody ever measured this is the interesting thing. They didn't measure the impact. Um, but I'm glad you've mentioned pedestrians because I hadn't been aware of it as a pedestrian. Um, and it was only when we um, started doing this and, and there was a piece on the radio that I then had what you've mentioned, the dog walkers, the pedestrians, and indeed um, a motorcyclist contacted me saying, oh, you should you should be in, on a motorcycle with a, a wet visor and then see what the glare does to your eyes. Yes, absolutely. And and it's a, so it's a problem for everybody, really. I mean, you, you, obviously, there has to be the, the balance between making it safer for drivers to be able to see people or, or cars but on the flip side if it becomes a problem particularly for oncoming um, drivers then that's that's not safe either and so, in fact I noticed it in London because we have sleeping policemen and so if the car coming towards me was going over that slight bump so its lights were suddenly flashing upwards um, that was even worse because it suddenly comes into your eyes but when I said that, people around the, from much more country areas said, oh, but it can be exactly the same with a very windy road. Suddenly there's a car in front of you. Um, so it isn't just that the, you know, the sleeping policeman put the car upwards, but the surprise on a curvy road um, of, of the sudden emergence of a, of a light in your eyes. Now, I don't know about how quickly eyes adapt to lights, uh, you know, you and people listening to this will know that. But presumably there's something about the suddenness of these lights that makes it worse. 
Yes, absolutely. So sort of just generally on, on average, somebody who is, is younger, um, the recovery time it takes from them from what we call the photo stress recovery is, a, is about one second. But for drivers in their 60s, that can increase to nine seconds. So what we're talking about is that it's taking them sort of nine times longer to recover from a dazzle um, than it would a younger person. So again, when you think of that in terms of driving on the road, um, what that could do in terms of distance of stopping or being able to react. It, it's quite it's quite significant. And I've noticed, again, not sure whether this is because since I've a driver, I don't really remember it being so much of a problem when I was a younger and a passenger, but there just seems to be far fewer um, streetlights as well. So what I'm noticing now is more and more people have their headlights on full beam. And when I do live in sort of the more countryside area that they'll come around the corner with the beams really wide and then they might take a lot longer to dip them or react to that, to, to, which can, again, cause problems. And in fact, a lot of these, what I think are over-engineered cars, the, the headlights are automatic. So they dip or not dip automatically. And therefore, of course, coming around the corner, it takes the computer in the car um, some time you know, they don't think, well, perhaps there's a car coming, whereas we as drivers would do, um, and they don't. So I think there's a, a problem there with the automatic headlights. Yes, absolutely. And I think in the sort of work that we've done together, we sort of uncovered that when one of the least features that's checked in an MOT is the direction or the position or the angle of the light in, in a car. Um, so that isn't checked so much. So if a headlight is sort of pointed even a few degrees higher than it should be or a few degrees lower that could really impact the um, experience of the oncoming traffic yes and that matters more with these leds than it did with the the old lights i mean it was always a bit annoying if someone didn't dip their eye uh, lights but it wasn't the end of the world but with these brighter ones it, it, it is really quite an impact but going yeah. back to what you just said about nine seconds i mean in london we don't now don't drive more than 20 miles an hour but at 30 miles an hour, nine seconds, you're driving quite a, quite a distance. Absolutely. And then if you think about on sort of the bigger roads, the faster you go, the the longer it is to take. And in fact, I think the RAC had a um, put a survey out and they said that sort of 300 accidents have been reported annually due to headlight glare. And that's only those that have been reported, of course. So the figure could be much higher. Indeed, when we, you know, uh, as you as you know, and we've spoken to the government, they're just saying, well, basically nobody dies as a result of this. But A, they don't know because it may not be reported. Um, and also, even if people are only injured or stop driving because of this, that also seems serious. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to get the government to do, well, we all are, you're working with us on this, is to at least recognise there's a problem. Because as soon as the government is able to recognise this is an issue, it's then got lots of levers to pull, whether that's by research or collaboration with designers to do something about it. But as long as the government stays in denial, there's a problem, uh, then then it will never not won't take the first steps to to rectify the problem. Um, and what is the best way to get the government to sort of recognize it's a problem? Well, actually, your members will play some some of the uh, uh, could play a role in this. Basically, government response, they are politicians. I understand that. I'm one myself, not an elected one. They do respond to what they're hearing locally. 
And part of the problem is this, there's nobody really who, who, even if they've stopped driving, they would never think to write to their MP and say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, because people feel it's their fault, if you like, that their mm. eyes aren't responding properly to LED or they're getting older or whatever. And they wouldn't think to blame anyone other than themselves. It's quite interesting. Uh, you know, now that we're talking about this, how many people say, oh, gosh, well, I'm having that, but I thought it was my fault. So politicians tend not to respond to something until they're hearing from their constituents that this is an issue. Now, I don't think passengers or drivers are, are ever going to write, write about it. But it does seem to me that if your members were able to just write a letter to their MP and say, look, you should be aware that this is a bit of an issue. We are getting people coming into our surgeries, and actually it's about LED lights. And politicians were beginning to get that nudge. I think it, they would then say, well, I'll, you know, I'll ask a minister about it. And that's when ministers respond, when they hear there's a problem. At the moment, they're not hearing from enough people that this is something they ought to do something about. So that's one of the ways that is really quite effective in getting um, ministers to pay attention. The other one, of course, is by, by publicity, of getting um, articles in newspapers. And again, it may be that some of your members might get something in a local paper or a letter in the local paper, or we're trying to do it nationally, um, just to get awareness, because that's the, the first step. I've been involved in safety campaigns, but I'm much older than 60, I have to say. For a long time, I was involved with seatbelts and drink drive. Um, and once you get the awareness, for example, that seatbelts save lives, it's then much easier to actually, you know, get them fitted into cars and then get them made compulsory. And the same with drink drive. We had to get breathalyzers easily available for police to use before we could move forward to breath testing being regularly used. So there's always quite a step-by-step um, -step approach to making change. But the first step is getting the politicians to accept there's something that needs doing. And that's really interesting because the two examples that you've given there about drink driving and seatbelts, I mean, to me now, this is just so ingrained in me. It's a no-brainer. Of course you have to wear your seatbelt. Of course you, you shouldn't drink when you're driving. But there was a time when this wasn't quite the case. And then hopefully, you know, with your new work, or um, this is something that will become a little bit more mainstream later on. My um, mother was killed by uh, a, a drunk driver and she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Oh. Now, you know, this is 60 more years ago. So you can understand why I've been involved in, bo in both those campaigns all my life. But it is interesting that to me, it's still a... Um, something we've achieved and there you are as a much younger person just saying you take it for granted um, and that's wonderful I think that sums up you know what campaigning is all about you do something that is obviously you know is the right thing and eventually it just becomes mainstream well I hope that things like having uh, lights in cars that that help the oncoming driver rather than help harm them um, could in a few years' time just become the norm. Yes, and when you put it like that, it, it's almost a no-brainer, really. But it is very interesting to to hear that we're not necessarily needing people to, or certainly our members, 
at this stage to be sort of embarking in very uh, heavy research. We're, we're just saying we just need to raise the awareness about it. And it's it's more than just, oh, okay, we've got some people who sort of struggling a little bit at night. I mean, if we think about the impacts of not being able to drive, especially in my area where the public transport isn't brilliant um, and you can't necessarily walk everywhere, you're getting people who might have to then stay at home when they would normally go out. And that can, of course, lead to issues with isolation, loneliness and other factors. And from what we're hearing, um, it tends to be, uh, and it's interesting that it's you and me, of course, just at the moment, it tends to be women um, who are the ones most uh, likely to say that they'll stop driving at night. Uh, my sister, who does live in the country, has more or less stopped driving at night be because of this. Um, and as you say, the, the she lives by herself. So the risk of isolation and loneliness is, in, is incredible. Um, car. I mean, I live in London, so I can live without a car at night very, very easily. But, you know, most places you wouldn't be able to do that. So it is a social issue. It, it, you know, this is more than uh, than just a road safety issue. It, it is about um, social life. And that seems to me really important, which is the other important area for government to understand. Yes. And thinking about, I mean, I know um, that there are various um tints and things that you can put on glasses um, which should aim to help reduce this but I which uh, and which some of them sort of work quite well some of them not so much and it does depend on sort of the reasons why you're getting the glare in the first place but I think when you put the kind of onus on the individuals to then have to pay out for this you, you could potentially be looking at increasing health inequalities where those who can afford will be able to help and those who can't won't. And and that is a problem as well. Indeed. And also, you know, for people, I mean, I happen to have worn glasses for much of my life. So therefore, we're, you know, putting a gla glasses on to, to drive wouldn't feel to me very odd. But if you've had people who've never worn glasses, then that's also quite an odd thing to ask them to do. And, you know, as we get older, you know, if people feel, oh, I'm getting old, I'm, I'm happy to wear glasses too. Uh, to drive because of the light, there can be quite a sort of barrier to that for people who've never worn glasses. And I also don't know, you know, it's a way in your area, not mine. You know, if you've got um, uh, contact lenses, what the impact on that is of then wearing glasses, you know, that have just got a tint on, on top of um, contact lenses. But your, I think your wording is really interesting, though. You know, why make the driver responsible for doing something about this when actually the problem is the oncoming light mm. and it, it, it could I mean it could be multifactorial as well it could be a little bit both but I do feel that you know from what we've talked about um, that if we can put a little bit more perhaps regulation a bit more guidance about what we actually are needing in, in the cars that could significantly help the majority of the people um, can you tell us a little bit about um, how how one can get an LED bulb in their car. I know that sometimes if you get a new car, they could be factory fitted. Um, but are there other ways that people put LED bulbs in their car? Yes, there is, there, there is another way, unfortunately, and that's in a way the most dangerous because the LEDs that are fitted in cars, I, I don't like at all and I think they're too bright. But at least they're, you know, they are properly fitted, if you like. What we've heard from people who sell um, LED lights that they get retrofitted 
into cars that weren't made for them. And that's particularly a problem because they don't have all the controls and they may not be at the right angle. Um, now, it's not illegal for these people to sell LED lights, but actually they should not be re retrofitted into a car that wasn't built for them. Um, and interestingly, again, when I started doing this, it was the suppliers of um, light bulbs that came to me and said, look, we're really worried about this. It's fine for off-road car, off cars and, and various others, or indeed as replacement bulbs. But actually, these should not be fitted into cars not made for them. But they know that that's what's happening. So we really, you know, that is something maybe we that the government could clamp down on uh, much more quickly. That that's really interesting. So in theory, and I I did do a quick Google at, at one point on I could buy an LED light bulb on Amazon or other online retailers, and um and if I didn't have an LED car, I could fairly easily just fit it in, and I wouldn't know as an individual that that actually was illegal because yeah. easy to obtain. There's nothing to say you shouldn't do this. Absolutely. Um, and again, the government sort of shrugged its shoulders. Well, you know, you you met the minister with me and they, they, they seemed, the, the government just seemed unaware, or just completely unaware that, that any of this was a, was a problem, which is why we have to get them to understand it's a problem and then they can do something about it. Obviously, we we will be raising sort of more awareness on the campaign. But what is the next step after that? What what would we what would the process need to be? Well, if we if we can get the government to um, accept that there's a problem, I think then we should work with them and particularly you know your your specialism to to get the right research. The the, the government has certainly got research money, and they could be doing this both on looking at detail on on accidents. They could be looking at what's happening in other countries. They could be asking you and your specialists for um, for ways of ameliorating this. You know, is there a way of you still using LED light bulbs, um, but be, but by making perhaps restrictions on their intensity and their luminance, or indeed their their angle um, and the, the computer control over them? Because many cars now they're computer controlled, uh, of alleviating the problem by much better focusing. Um, and much better directing, or do we need to actually think seriously about whether we even continue to use these, um, or can they be adapted? This goes well beyond my specialism, but can LEDs be adapted some way um, with, with less white light or blue light, I think you called it? Um, you know, w once the government wants to do something, it can then look at the technicality to see how to solve the problem. Um, the stage one of the campaign is get them willing to do this. Mm. And then I suppose once they've got the research and they've got the evidence and everything should be evidence-based, then they can make the recommendations that they need to going forward um, around guidance and legislation. And that can be quite easy. Some of it will be quite difficult because with the cars we import, they are international or export indeed. You know, the the, the car market is a very international one. Bits of pieces of cars are made in different countries. They may be assembled here, but they will, you know, have pieces of equipment that come from all around the world. And therefore, the a lot of the standards are international. And so, I, you know, I do understand that if they, you know, if, even if they once they've agreed what they want to do, it could well take three or four years to get those international standards done. But some of it can be done domestically. Um, and most of it will not need 
what we call primary legislation, in other words, a new act of parliament. It can be done by secondary legislation because most of these standards, um, it, it may be, for example, there may be an act of parliament that says basically any car on the road must um, maintain the standards laid down in guidance, which the government has approved. But that guidance is in what we call secondary legislation. So that can be done really quite easily once there's agreement on it. It doesn't need a whole new Act of Parliament. Um, it, it is just the, the standards that are issued by whichever body is, is um, uh, given the, the task by government. So the legislative um, process would not be a handicap once we've got agreement on this. That's interesting because there was me thinking, okay, you've raised awareness, the government have agreed to do something. Are we talking 10, 20 years before anything can actually be passed through? Um, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. And particularly if, you know, we, we begin in, in a small area such as the retrofit LED light bulbs, it, it sounds as though that that is something that could be relatively easily um, looked at. Well, that could be done easily enough because the MO, because you could say, you know, no retrofitting. And therefore, when a car and it's, you know, if it's retrofitted, it's likely to be old enough that it needs an MOT. Um, and the MOT will not be passed if it's got a, if it's got an LED light bulb and it wasn't, um, you know, built to have it. And therefore, you'd fail your MOT so that some things could be done very easily. It, it just sounds bizarre that that's not already happening. <laughs> It does, but it's because the government doesn't recognise there's a problem with LED. For those listening, they should know that Denise was, I think, the most brilliant person I've ever seen with a minister because she kept really cool. And when the minister was sort of shrugging her shoulders and saying there's no problem, Denise was just completely brilliant in the most subtle and lovely way, saying, well, actually, minister, uh, and took her through it. Um, and, you know, what we just need that minister to accept Let's look at this. And I think then movement could be quite fast. Yes, I hope so. And uh, and of course, thank you for that, of course. But we're, I'm learning from the best, Diane. I've seen how you interact. So <laughs> it's just learning from the master. Um, I mean, this is just, to me, as I said, when we talked about um, the campaigns that you've done in the past with seatbelts and drink driving, uh, th this sounds like a, a very, very logical next step. We're not saying that people shouldn't have these LED bulbs. We're not saying that we're trying to sort of reduce the light levels on the roads on the whole. It is just very specifically making it safer and more comfortable for both the driver and, and the oncoming traffic or the pedestrians or the motorcyclist. This is the way we need to go. And interestingly, there will be no opposition I mean, there was on drink drive. A lot of people, you know, particularly lived in the country, said this is really going to interfere with my social life. You know, the pub's important for me and I need to drive there. And there was really quite a lot of resistance to it. There was a bit of resistance on seatbelts, uh, people saying, oh, they're going to be uncomfortable and all of that. But it wasn't very great. But drink drive was, I don't think there'll be any opposition to this at all. I don't think there can be people who who oppose having their lights because even people who like night like nice bright lights in their own cars see the result of an oncoming car. So it will, in that sense, be much easier than many campaigns I've run, where you really have to get over a lot of objections to it. Um, I think this will uh, be one of the easier ones to win on. Hope so, and. 
Um, could you just remind our sort of listeners, many of which are likely to be optometrists, how how would one go about contacting their MP or even finding out who their MP is if they don't already know? Well, the easiest thing is to go onto the Parliament website and it says find your MP and you put in your postcode and up comes the name of your MP. The lovely little system. And then you just write or email that MP. Um, I think letters are good. MPs get literally a thousand uh, emails a day. They now get very few letters. So interestingly, they tend to read the letters. So you can just write to your MP and the address is House of Commons, London, SW1A, 1AA. As easy as that. Uh, and it can be quite a short letter um, and, you know, personally written, look, you know, I'm a specialist, I'm getting people in here and I know there's nothing wrong with their eyes. I know it's, you know, these very bright dazzle letter lights. Please, could you tell me what you're doing about it? It can be as, as short and as sweet as that. Um, and, you know, there will be a number of your members in each constituency and frankly, once an MP starts getting four or five letters about something, they think, yeah. And actually, most MPs will then say, I was with one yesterday that I hadn't spoken about it before. And within about 40 seconds, no, less than 40 seconds, he goes, oh, yeah, I know what you mean, too. And my wife stopped driving me. And it was really interesting. So the MPs will respond, I think, quite well to these letters because actually they're human beings and they drive. So they'll know but they will not have focused on it before. Yes, and I, I think it is very true because people wouldn't necessarily necessarily know it is it is glare particularly. They're more likely to say, oh, I've stopped driving at night. Or as you say, it's something with my eyes I can't see so well. Um, but it's just about being able to really talk about what the actual issue is and just highlighting actually it could be the headlights that are causing a problem. Yeah, it's as, it is as easy as that. Well, it was so lovely to talk to you this morning, Diane, um, about your campaign, which um, the college have been working with you on and supporting you on. Um, we will be talking to um, Mike Bowen a bit later about the research, which is very exciting. But um, thank you again for coming on and speaking with us on iPod today. Well, thank you. And thank you for what you've done on this, because I have to say, without you coming in behind us, I think we wouldn't really have gone past go. It's, it's a pleasure.